Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, we thank you for what you're doing among us, O Lord. Just wonderful miracle after miracle. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, that we can report your grace to our brethren today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to call this God is Sovereign to Meet Our Needs, number three. And uh, this first article, uh, myself and Michael Hare and Brandy Arney put our heads together to uh, share this tremendous miracle, or miracles, I should say. Um, so David said, in the end of November, we had a call from the water company that our water usage had drastically increased over two months. Uh, at that time, we went to where our meter was located with the help of our neighbor who knew where the meter was because it was on the other side of his property. And then we looked for the leak by digging a few holes uh, where he said the line was but we never could find the line. Uh, the meter is located 0.38 miles from our house. <laughs> so there's a long line there. And after looking for the leak for about an hour or so, David suggested that we just believe God to repair the leak as we did 10 years before when God repaired a terrible leak on this line of 10,000 gallons of water per month. And the realtor could not find the leak, and then he asked uh, us to fix it. And uh, I told the realtor at that time, hey, we're just renters here because it looked like really an impossible thing to find. Um, and his reply was, well, if you can't find it, then you probably need to find another place to rent. Well, at that time, the owner was paying the water bill. <laughs> and uh, the water line went through woods and overgrown field and uh, seemed impossible to find since all water sinks into the rocky ground here. It doesn't necessarily come to the surface. Um, it doesn't leak to the surface as in most places. All the water that runs down the side of this mountain has made a very deep and wide gully uh, from our house down to the road at the base of the mountain where it dead ends. And all of that water goes into the grounds along the way. And that's a lot of water. Uh, I noticed that one day when I saw a culvert going underneath the road, but it didn't come out on the other side. I asked the, 
neighbor over there. He has he ever seen any water come out on the other side? He says, no. I said, then it all dead ends right there. That's amazing. It all just goes right in the ground. <laughs> um, so you can see that finding a leak, even a large one, can be impossible without special equipment. So we decided that since we were supposed to be here by God's direction, we commanded the leak to cease in Jesus' name which we've done before, like we did with Baba Cardi's swimming pool, and so on and so forth, you know. So, David then told the realtor that uh, leased the house for the owner that uh, God repaired the leak. He said that he had never heard of God doing anything like that. And I replied, well, you, you have now, so watch the bill and you'll see. And from that day until now, uh, we have had a normal water bill. So now this new report, it's from uh, 1214-22 to 1216-22, two days. We saw these miracles uh, four times, uh, excuse me, four, sometimes five people are witnesses to these miracles depending upon what time during that particular time they were uh, connected with us. Um, we even had a, uh, a water company man that was working with us. and <laughs> So our combined recollection, here it is. Tass Water Company performed a supply line flush at our end of the supply line because we are at the end of the supply line. We're on the top of a mountain. And when this happened, our neighbor called us to tell us to flush our faucets. As we went to do this, we discovered we had no water at all. <laughs> uh, the breaker in the garage for the multi-stage water pump that pumps it up to the top of the mountain here um, was tripped. Well, when we went down and pulled the concrete cover off of the water pump, concrete vault because it's like a vault there and the pump and the motor was in there and it was all piped up in there with a big heavy concrete cover over the top of it um we found that the water was flooding and overflowing the vault the motor and pump were underwater which shorted the motor and tripped the breaker then we called the water company to turn off the water uh, at the meter, which, again, was a long ways from us, okay? We then repaired the leak uh, from the supply line to the pump at the vault. And then by phone, we had the water company worker turn it back on, which he did. But he turned it on all of a sudden. And when he did the air in the pipes, which he said was 80 pounds per square inch, blew the one-inch water supply PVC pipeline apart at the coupling on the top of the pump. The water was only about 25 to 30 pounds per square inch, he said, but behind the air, uh, but air compresses and water doesn't, and air is a lot harder to hold in PVC lines. 
So Brandy said, um, we three were standing over the pump when the pipe blew, and it went off like a shotgun. <laughs> when he fought, when he blew, set the water to us, you know. Okay, so we repaired that pipe right on top of the pump and told the water company worker to turn it back on, but slowly. Well, uh, no water came to the pump. The worker told us at that time that water was flowing full pipe from the meter, but we had no water at the pump end at all. We waited for some time, but no water or even air came. And uh, Brandy said, As I waited at the pump, uh, David and Michael went up to the house to open the faucets and to turn the, the pump breaker on in, in order to listen for any air or water movement in the pipes or faucets. And when they switched on the breaker for the pump, the pump started whirring, which it it makes a noise like that when it doesn't have any water in it, you know. I listened for any sounds of water coming through the pump and heard nothing. I waited for approximately one minute, and the pump started squealing loudly, and I said to Michael over the phone, turn it off. Uh, Brandy said, I, I was on the phone with the water company employee who was approximately 200 yards away across the field of the neighbor's property where the meter is. And after I told him that we had no water coming into the pump from the supply side, the water worker then said, Oh no, that means there is a pipe break between here and there underground. Brandy said, my heart kind of sank at that point. I heard the enemy say, you have broken the line completely and burned up the pump. <laughs> so we three had been out there in the dark for a while, he said, getting rained on, and we had already had a tough time getting it all back together anyway. And now this, it was cold, and after hearing this and seeing in the natural what had happened, I went home somewhat discouraged. So let's go back to Michael here. Michael said, So we knew that the water line had blown apart completely because there was no water or even air coming out at the pump end. It had totally separated. And even separated underground, you might think you would go through the ground and find the other pipe and you'd have something coming out. But no, there was nothing coming out. So the leak was uh, somewhere between the meter and the pump, about three feet underground. And the line was partially in our woods at the bottom of the mountain and approximately 200 yards or so across an overgrown field of briars, saplings, and on the neighbor's property. The water company worker suggested we call a man that could find the leak uh, for us with a listening device that he had, which would cost between 400 and $800. Then he left to go home. But we knew that it would cost much more than that because of the length of the pipe involved and where it was located in an impassable territory. 
Okay. So the next morning, um, David and I, Michael said, went down and repaired the pipe on the discharge side of the pump line, which could have cracked when the blowout occurred. David said, Barry uh, had given us a water valve wrench to turn the water on and off at the meter, so we didn't need to call the water man at that time. We commanded the leak between the meter and the pump to be repaired in the name of Jesus and praised the Lord <laughs> for this miracle as we did all the way through this thing with miracles. Then Michael went down to turn on the water to the pump at the meter and then walked back up to the pump and water started coming into the pump which was an impossibility, naturally speaking, because the line had been totally broken in two and wasn't even going into the far side of the line to come to us as dirty water or even air. It just nothing, nothing. It was that bad. And as you think that's crazy, well, no, it's not. Not in this territory. There's huge rocks all down there and all the way up this mountain. It's very porous. All the water goes into the ground. Yeah. So Father had answered our prayer and praise. Hallelujah. He fixed it. Then Michael went to the house to turn the pump breaker on. So see, that was just part of it. Getting, getting the line back together under the ground. One inch line under the ground. Uh, that was the first miracle right there. Okay. Uh, Michael said, when the pump started, David said by phone, shut it off. The motor is smoking. It's turning very slow. Well, there's usually a reason for that. Um, it, it had lost a phase of its 230 volts. Uh, the winding was burnt. Okay, on the motor. And... Um, I supervised an electric motor shop at Exxon, and um, when a motor shorts or burns the windings, it never gets better in the natural. Not possible, okay, because you've got the windings that run the motor burnt out, a short, a dead short. Of course, it had water all in it, you know, okay. So you have to rewind the windings to renew the motor again. And also, motors don't run long after being underwater unless you take them apart and you dry them out. We would take a, um, a stator winding and stick it in an oven overnight at 400 degrees to dry all the water out of it before even attempting to put any voltage through it because otherwise it would blow up the windings. So... The water creates a short in the windings that burns them up and smokes. You can always tell when a winding is burnt by just smelling it. Okay. Uh, but we were acting on our faith, so we didn't do things normally at all. Um, we left a note here. Both David and Michael have professional experience with electric motors. This is true. So there's no way that a motor would heal itself. <laughs> it's just not possible, you know, in the natural. Okay. So by faith, 
we let it cool down for a moment. And after it cooled down, we prayed and praised the Lord and tried it again. And it smoked worse than before because obviously it was arcing bigger and bigger gaps in the wiring, you know. Uh, and then the breaker, of course, broke. Uh, this is all very natural. That's what you would expect. Okay. Um, and then Michael said, David told me by faith, let's put the concrete lid on the pump vault. In other words, as though it were all fixed. So we got the pump that was squealing because the wear rings are rubbing in there because there wasn't any water in it when it ran. And now we got the motor burnt up. So I, I said, let's put the concrete lid on the pump and go to the house to turn it on. So this was, um, this was an act of faith, actually. This was, uh, with a blown motor and a damaged pump. Well, we already had the water coming to it, so we had that part solved by the grace of God. And there was no natural chance for this to run. None. So we drove up to the house, and as we, as we went, we commanded the pump motor to be rewound and rewired, <laughs> and the seals uh, to hold on the motor and the pump, because if you run them dry, you can burn the seals up too, and then you can't keep water out, uh, water in the pump and out of the motor. So, and, uh, the pump wearings and the bushings, uh, to be repaired, we commanded it in Jesus' name. Um, and uh, because of the squealing, of course, we knew that uh, the wear rings were rubbing, which they're never supposed to do. But that happens if you run it dry. And we praised God for the answer. And then uh, when we got to the house, we reset the breaker to turn the pump on. Well, at that time, at that moment, uh, of course, there still was no water at the house. And David said, I think Michael wrote this part up. He said, David said, I'm going to take a shower. <laughs> so I went outside, Michael said, and shut the outside faucets off, which we had opened to bleed the air out of the line, but there was nothing coming out. And I came back inside. And David stuck his head out of his bedroom door and said, Michael, please reset the breaker one more time. So I reset the breaker and went uh, back inside. Then I heard David shout from his bathroom that he had water. Yes, I had full water. So uh, another miracle. <laughs> Uh, a pump and motor worked that were not supposed to work, okay, that naturally speaking couldn't work. So he said, I asked David if we should turn the water heater back on that it had been off for two days. So the water was cold. The air was cold. The water was cold. Everything was cold. And David said, yes, of course. I'm not going to take a shower under that, okay. Um... David reported that as he turned on the shower, the water was immediately hot. Okay, well, it takes, in the natural, 
for uh if you've already got a hot water heater and it's already heated up in the natural it takes a couple of minutes to get the hot water to come okay but in this case it came hot immediately and the hot water pump uh hot water heater uh was off for two days so this was another miracle after the water heater had been off for two days and it was very cold, okay? Then the next morning, we were tested again. The water went off, and there was no water coming to the house again. So, David said, We both rebuked Satan and commanded the water to come back on in Jesus' name and praised the Lord for it. Then it came on. Then just before the meeting, it went off, and we both rebuked Satan and commanded it back on in the name of Jesus, and it came on. And it's working wonderfully right now. <laughs> praise the Lord. So uh, we praise the Lord all the way through this thing. We thank the Lord and praise the Lord for the answer all the way through it. So not knowing that the Lord had fixed the water situation, Brandy went up to our house, and uh, neither Michael nor I were home at the time, and Brandy went around the back side of the house, and as he passed by the water spigot, he reached down to turn it on, and the water came out as strong as ever. And during this whole ordeal, uh, Michael and I praised the Lord for fixing our water supply. And he was our faithful God. Amen. I had witnessed to the neighbor, who, by the way, is a Baptist pastor, about the first miracle of the Lord fixing 10,000 gallons a month leak. Um, he didn't say anything when I told him about it. And then he asked Brandy this time if we fixed the leak, and Brandy said, no, the Lord did. Then he asked Michael separately the same thing, and Michael told him the story of how the Lord fixed the leak. He didn't say a word. <laughs> okay. So, then we get this testimony of God's miraculous provision. Dirk Olofsson, 12-16-22. Thank you for Friday evening's meeting it was a real blessing in faith building, hearing the testimonies. Of course, this included the water supply miracles, right? God is awesome. I also have one I would like to share. Our house is fitted with a gas stove, and we had two 20-pound gas bottles, which is very helpful with all the many power outages that we currently have here in South Africa. Normally, a 20-pound bottle would last us between one to three months. For some time here in town, there have been a lot of thefts happening of garden equipment and gas bottles, etc. So during that time, the one gas bottle that was connected outside of our home was taken from our yard while we were away for a few days. And when we returned, we noticed that the bottle was missing. We heard from other people that they had experienced the same issue of things going missing. So we came against the spirit of theft and also vandalism 
And you might want to come against terrorists, too, whenever you got uh, gas bottles missing and they're collecting them. Well, they've done that before. They'll set them off somewhere and make a big explosion. So uh, going on with Dirk here, the theft issue did eventually stop, praise the Lord. When I connected up to the last gas bottle, I laid hands on it and blessed it and commanded that it would just last longer since it was the only one we had left. A few months had passed, and I picked the bottle up one day to feel it if it were were any gas left inside, and it was as light as a feather, meaning, of course, it was naturally empty. Naturally empty. Okay. Paula then asked me if we should have it uh, refilled, and I said, no. It's not necessary. We prayed and we asked Father that this bottle would just last, so it will. (laughs) There's your good confession. Faith without works is dead. You know, your good confession. We then continued on using it as normal. Well, it's been 12 months now (laughs) since we haven't changed it yet. It is still going strong with almost everyday use. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, for your provision. Yes, and we shared several years ago, we witnessed the same thing with a bottle here that ran our refrigerator uh, years ago. And um, awesome. Just kept on going and going and going and going like a never-ready battery, right? (laughs) Okay. So, this is a from Samuel Fire on ten four twenty two. He's called it walking the tightrope between faith and fear. Hmm. Yes. The Lord reminded me of the time on the UBM outreach when someone shared a testimony about a man that walked on a tightrope across Niagara Falls with a wheelbarrow of bricks. When remembering it, I had a vision of the man at Niagara Falls that walked on the tightrope, and there was a crowd of people watching him, and he asked the crowd, Who wants to get into the wheelbarrow as I walk across on the tightrope? I was in the crowd watching, and I stood forward and said, I will, feeling God wanted to test my faith. But I was suddenly struck with thoughts and feelings of fear and doubt and unbelief. Yeah, you betcha. (laughs) Thoughts of what could go wrong and that I shouldn't do it, etc. Right? And there was a, a big battle in my mind with fear. And I had to constantly cast down the enemy and all of his lies. I kept trying to abide in Father's peace and rest, thinking on the Word the whole time. This was a real trial. As they were getting prepared for me and the man to cross, he asked me, Are you ready? Yes, I responded, but I was not as calm and sure as I wanted to be. (laughs) Then the journey began of the man pushing me in a wheelbarrow across the tightrope. I was getting attacked with such intense fear, anxiety, doubt, and constantly battling those thoughts and feelings. 
Well, that's what you have to do. You have to battle them, cast them down. God hadn't given us a spirit of fear, right? Cast it all down. Keep confessing the truth. Keep praising and giving thanks to the Lord for the victory. Amen? Yes. I was trying to only focus my mind on Jesus and His Word and presence. Knowing that Jesus is in me and all around me and in everything, so there is nothing to fear. I was telling myself, Father is closer to me than my own breath, and He is in control of everything, and I only have to have Him to trust. My whole life and situation depends on Him. Well, fear just uh, makes everything worse, and it is a lie that Jesus has already defeated. Praise God. Yes, amen. And as we were going along the tightrope, the man with me in the wheelbarrow fell off the rope and started falling down. I thought, God is in control, and His will be done. I felt his presence and peace, knowing that he was in control. I then saw myself back on the tight rope in the wheelbarrow, realizing that us falling was just my imagination, thank God, or some imagination that the devil put in the mind, right? It's still a test, right? There's your test right there. It's common to get a test. Uh, when you start to believe God for something miraculous, you know, it's common. And even afterwards, after you get the miracle, He wants to test you to make sure you, to see if you'll back away, you know, by, because you're walking by sight, right? So I felt this whole vision was about the fact that it doesn't matter what we see or feel. We can be calm through every life situation. It reminded me of the Lord Jesus when he was sleeping in a boat during a storm. Yes, that was good. He was in total rest, right? So, is there anything keeping you from uh, your miracle? Uh, Usually the spoken words of faith and other actions uh, will prove it, right? Mark eleven twenty three and 24 says, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever, excuse me, whosoever, whatsoever is a little later, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou taken up and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that what he saith cometh to pass, he shall have it. Speak it. He shall have it. Therefore I say unto you, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that ye receive them, and you shall have them. And James 2 and 26 says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, even so faith apart from works is dead. Your miracle is not going to come to pass until you believe it, and speak it or walk it out. You know, there's got to be some actions of faith there. So, praise ye the Lord. Um, the angel showed us how to praise God from the heart. And um, the way he wants. And they told us to never go back 
to our dead ways, or enemies would again take advantage of us. So who are we to have an opinion contrary to the Word? Romans 3 and 4 says, God forbid, yea, let God be found true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy words, and mightest prevail when thou comest into judgment. Yes, when judgment is happening all around you, uh, make sure your words justify you, and cast down any thoughts that are contrary to the word of God. So what the angels told us was just what the word commands. Hebrews 13 and 15 says, Through him, then, let us offer up a sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of the lips, which makes confession to his name. Confession means to speak the same as, right? Psalm 103, 1 through 4. It's a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Got to keep those benefits in your mind, right? Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, and who who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Mm -hmm. Psalm 109 and 30. I will give great thanks unto the Lord with my mouth. Yea, I will praise him among the multitude. See, it's not just speaking to yourself, faith, right? It's uh, confessing him before men. And um, Psalm 111 and 1 says, Praise ye the Lord. I will give thanks unto the Lord with my whole heart in the counsel of the upright and in the congregation. With my whole heart. This is what the Lord is asking, and this is what the angels were telling us too, by the way. Don't go back to that old dead worship. It's worthless. Praise Him with your whole heart. Amen. Praise is a a language of faith, because praise means to brag about. You're bragging about what God has done, whether you see it yet or not. You're bragging on Him, right? Psalm 34 and 1 says, And this is a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who uh, drove him away, by the way, and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Continually. In the congregation, among the peoples, continually. Psalm 71 and 8, My mouth shall be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. Psalm 8 and 2, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast established strength. And and this is quoted in the New Testament uh, with the word praise here instead of strength. Praise, praise makes you strong. Because of thine adversaries, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. How to still the enemy and the avenger? Praise God. He hates it. He runs from it. 
Psalm 147, 12-14 Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of thy gates. To do what? Keep the enemy out. He hath blessed thy children within thee. He maketh peace in thy borders. He filleth thee with the finest of the wheat. And also, uh, Psalm 149, 1-9. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of the saints. New song, that's one that you never sang before, right? That's one that just comes to your heart. Comes out. It's It's praise. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. That's right. Let them sing praises unto him with timbrel and harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. As you know, we've studied salvation, and the word means all of your needs supplied. Uh, healing, deliverance, provision. Let the saints exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the nations and punishments upon the peoples and to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. Yep, during this miracles, these miracles as they were coming forth, we were just praising and thanking the Lord. It's a done deal. Psalm 150, 1-6 says, Praise ye the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with psaltery and harp. Praise Him with timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Amen. And this is powerful to bind the enemy who is constantly trying to bring the curse upon us. And we're not under the curse. Jesus became a curse for us. And we should praise him for it and thank him that it is a done deal. Amen. When I first went to a spirit-filled church, I was restrained in worship and praise because of a fear of man. But after I broke through, it was wonderful freedom. Proverbs 29 and 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Let me say that um, sin begins with your thoughts. Okay. Proverbs 23 and 7, For as he thinketh within himself, so is he. Yes. So, 
you think, well, it only matters what I do, what I say. No, it matters what you think, because that's where you can stop it right there. Cast down vain imaginations, right? Matthew 12 and 34 says, You offspring of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Hmm. So, it's what's in your heart first, before you speak, that brings on this curse. In the Old Testament, Mostly actions were judged, but in the New Testament, thoughts are judged for they are who you are, according to this, and what causes all evil actions, okay? And uh, Luke 6 and 45 says, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. You can tell who a person is by what they say, especially when they don't know anybody's listening. (laughs) Uh, Matthew 12 and 37. For by thy words thou shalt be justified. That means accounted righteous. Let your words cause you to be accounted righteous before God so that you can have the benefit. And by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Well, that's because your words prove what is in your heart or your thoughts. Romans 3 and 4. God forbid, yea, let God be found true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy words and mightest prevail when thou comest into judgments. Again, let me point something out. Uh, When you come into judgment, you need to be justified before God so that you can have the the benefit. Forget not all his benefits. So you need to be justified in your words and prevail when you come into judgment. Some people don't prevail. They're destroyed or they're judged or their their curse comes upon them or whatever. If you confess the things that are, that's all you're going to have. You need to confess the things that God has given. Amen? And Matthew 15 and 18 says, But the things which proceed out of the mouth come forth out of the heart. And they defile the man. So what you think in your heart is what defiles you, because then it comes out of your mouth, and it even gets worse then. For out of the heart cometh forth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, railings. Well, notice, thoughts are evil, and words are more evil, for they hurt others and put evil thoughts in others. And this is why God says, The slanderer will I destroy. Mm-hmm. James 1 and 19. You know this, my beloved brethren, but let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. 
Wherefore, putting away all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. The word changes your thoughts. You're reprogramming your mind to think the way God thinks. The word changes your thoughts and transforms the man before becoming an avalanche of bad emotions and actions, right? And Romans uh, 12 and 2, And be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. So faith tames the thoughts and the emotions and the actions in that order, right? in those who are given over to Christ. Second Corinthians 3 and 18 says, But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. So we see that we don't live anymore. It's Christ who lives in us. And this is a justification by faith. And um, and in it you are justified and accounted righteous so that you may receive the blessing from God. The devil will condemn you. He'll try to get you to give up your justification by faith, but you need to cast all of that down. Amen. Romans 2 and 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when Gentiles that have not the law do by nature the things of the law, just because of their conscience, right? These having the law are uh, the law unto themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness therewith, and their thoughts one with another, accusing or else excusing them. Even, uh, let me say, the wicked think it's repugnant to stab people in the back. The wicked do that. They feel that that is repugnant. So when you get factious people that do that, they have no conscience whatsoever. Their thoughts will condemn them because they're believing something they have no legal right to believe. And then they make up anything they want to make up. So, 16 goes on to say, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men according to my gospel by Jesus Christ. So, secrets of men's hearts are revealed in their words and actions. Mm -hmm. Because you're thinking about it before you do it. So, Matthew 5, 19-28 says, Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoso shall do and teach them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, in the Old Testament, mostly actions are judged, but in the New Testament, thoughts are judged, for they 
are who you are and what causes all evil actions. Amen? That's where God wants you to stop it. If you stop it there, it won't become emotional, which is very powerful, and then it won't become actions, which are very powerful too. And uh, verse 21, You have heard that it was said unto them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that everyone who is angry, that's a thought, okay, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. Well, so now he's taking it from the action all the way back to the thought, right? And uh, whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of the hell of fire. If therefore thou art offering thy gift at the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. So, clear your conscience before coming to God. You have needs, uh, you have desires, you have wishes. He said, before you come to me, clear your conscience. Make sure you have done right by others. You can't make things right with some people because they're just plain wicked, you know. And uh, they would, you know, you can try, but uh, it won't do any good. In most cases, you're not held com- you're not held accountable in that kind of a case, right? Verse 25, Agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art with him in the way. That's the best place to do it, right there, because you don't want to have any time elapsed after there's been an offense, right? Lest happily the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou have paid the last farthing. You have heard it was said, that is, in the law, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that every one that looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So notice this, friends. You might say, well, I've never done this, never done that. But did you do it in your mind? As I've said before, um, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. Now, maybe the first thought that's fired in there, you you reject it, right? You just reject it. You cut it off right there. Instead of entertaining it, which is the same thing as doing it, according to what he said right here. Sins come in threes. Evil thoughts lead to evil emotions, which lead to evil actions. Evil thoughts stir up emotions and bring demon possession. Then many evil actions come. Stop it at the thought level. Emotions are harder to stop. Outbursts or railing prove sin in the heart of a person. Second Corinthians ten three through six. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty before God to casting down strongholds. Have you got a stronghold? Is there a demonic stronghold in your mind? Well, here's the way. Okay. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. And being in readiness to avenge all disobedience when your obedience shall be made full. Because the devil's constantly wanting you to judge other people. But you don't dare do it if you're in sin. Right? Don't get caught judging when you are guilty. For Jesus said you would be judged. In other words, you are bringing judgment on yourself by judging others while you are sinning. Yeah. Genesis 6 and 5, And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Notice, imagination of the thoughts in of his heart was only evil continually. That's why God did the destruction, right? First Samuel 16 and 7 says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Yeah, he hears thoughts uh, as though they were out loud. In the spirit realm, that's the way it works. So, your thoughts. Think about this. Would you want the Lord to know your thoughts sometimes? Well, he does. And the angels do too. And the devil does too sometimes. Okay? James 3, 1 through 16. Be not many of you teachers, my brethren, knowing that we shall receive heavier judgment. For in many things we all stumble. If any man stumbleth not in word, the same is a perfect man. Why is that? Because your words reveal your heart. Able to bridle the whole body also, so a person can control themselves. We have to exercise self-control in all things, Paul said, right? And, of course, if you control your thoughts, you will control your body. Now, if we put the horse's bridles in their mouths that they may obey us, we turn about their whole body also. Behold, the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by rough winds, are yet turned about by a very small rudder, the tongue, right? Whither the impulse of the steersman willeth. So the tongue also is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how much wood is kindled by how small a fire. And the tongue is a fire the world of iniquity among our members, and is is the tongue which defileth the whole body. Your tongue defiles the whole body. Your mind defiles your tongue, right? 
and the tongue defiles your whole body. And setteth on fire the wheel of nature, or cycle of life. That's sowing and reaping, right? What you sow, you reap. To have to sow with what you have reaped, right? So when you sow bad, you receive bad in yourself, in your conscience, in your ability, in your nature. And then you're sowing out of that, you see. So you're defiling yourself by your thoughts and, uh, of course, emotions and, of course, actions. And it's set on fire by hell. The hell is what you're receiving. You are from beneath, Jesus said. I am from above. That's right. For every kind of beasts and birds, of creeping things and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed by mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. But the Lord can. Put the Lord in your heart, right? It is a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we the Lord and Father, and therewith curse we men who are made after the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth cometh forth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to so be. Maybe. Amen. Verse 11. Doth the fountain send forth from the same opening sweet water and bitter? Well, no. If it's bitter, it's all bitter. Right. Can a fig tree, my brethren, yield olives or vine figs? Neither can salt water yield sweet. Yeah, you put salt in the water, it's all going to be salty. Right? Who who is wise and who understanding and, and understanding among you? Let him show by his good life his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy Infection in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth, because he knows that that's what you're going to do. And this uh, wisdom is not a wisdom that cometh down from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where jealousy and faction are, there is confusion and every vile deed. So it, all of that curse upon these people uh, is starts with their thoughts. They permit themselves thoughts that are illegal, according to God. They don't have two witnesses of anything, any sin, and yet they speak it. Oh, my. So what are they doing? They're bringing a curse upon themselves. Psalm 139, 23-24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. In Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Keep thy heart, Proverbs 4 and 23 says, with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Obviously, there are those who know how to speak acceptably to others, but their heart and their thoughts are evil. 
they will still be judged for their thoughts and lies. Jeremiah 9 and 5 says, And they will deceive everyone his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They worry themselves to commit iniquity. Yeah, they say they love you while they hide that dagger behind their backs, right? And are ready to stab it into yours. In 2 Timothy 3 and 13, But evil men and impostors will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. In Proverbs 26 and 24, He that hateth dissembleth with his lips, but he layeth up deceit within him. But Romans sixteen seventeen through 19, I beseech you, brethren, mark them that are causing the divisions and occasions of stumbling, contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and turn away from them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Christ, but their own belly. And by their smooth and fair speech, they beguile the hearts of the innocent. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I rejoice therefore over you, but I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple unto that which is evil. In Lamentations 2 and 14, Thy prophets have seen for thee false and foolish visions, and they have not uncovered thine iniquity to bring back thy captivity, but have seen for thee false oracles and causes of banishment. Yes, indeed. Many deceivers out there, you know, look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. Well, Father, we thank you for these awesome miracles, and we know we have many more coming. The angels have told us that. Awesome, awesome miracles. We praise you, Father. Thank you for it. And um, we thank you, the Lord Jesus, that um, he is uh, guarding our hearts and uh, filling us with his gifts of faith. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, Father. Uh, we ask you to bless Michael Hare and all the brethren that are joining him. Lord, we just ask that you pour out your Spirit upon them in Jesus' name and do a mighty work among them. Amen. Amen. God bless you, saints. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, I just praise you and I glorify you, Father, for the things that you have given us, the tools that you have given us to walk this life that you have us to walk in, Lord. And I praise you for your indwelling into each and every one of us, Lord. And I thank you, Father, for giving us the opportunity to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. And I thank you for that, Father, the greatest of all tools that you've given us, Father, and I praise you and I glorify you, Father. And I thank you, Lord, for John Lake, who gave us a little teaching on the baptism of the Holy Ghost that really set me on fire and got me going towards you in a deeper, more uh, meaningful way, Father. And I praise you that it'll do the same for everybody out there. In the name of Jesus. Well, that's what I want to relate to you this morning, this day is John G. Lake's teaching on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He says, he starts out and he says, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the greatest event in Christian history, greater than the crucifixion, of greater import than the resurrection, greater than the ascension, greater than the glorification, 
It was the end and finality of crucifixion and resurrection, ascension and glorification. If Jesus Christ had been crucified and there had been no resurrection, his death would have been without avail insofar as the salvation of mankind is concerned. Or if he had risen from the grave in resurrection and failed to reach the throne of God and received from the Father the gift of the Holy Ghost, the purpose for which he died and for which he arose would have been missed. It is because there was no failure. It's because Jesus went to the ultimate, to the very throne and heart of God and secured right out of the heavenly treasury of the eternal soul, the almighty spirit, and poured it forth upon the world in divine baptism that we are here tonight. The day of Pentecost was the birthday of Christianity. Christianity never existed until the Holy Ghost came from heaven. The ministry of Jesus in the world was his own divine preparation of the world for his ultimate and final ministry. His ultimate and final ministry was to be by the Spirit. The ministry of Jesus during his earth life was localized by his humanity, localized again in that his message was only given to Israel. But the descent of the Holy Ghost brought to the souls of men a universal ministry of Jesus to every man right from the heart of God. Heavenly contact with the eternal God in power sent their nature all aflame for God and with God. Exalted their natures into God and made the recipient God-like. Man became God-like. And there is no subject in all the word of God that seems to me should be approached with so much holy reverence as the subject of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Beloved, my heart bleeds every day of my life when I hear the flippancy with which Christians discuss the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When Moses entered into the presence of God at the burning bush. God told him, said, Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Exodus 3.51 How much more so when the individual comes into the presence of God looking for the baptism of the Holy Ghost and remembers that in order to obtain this gift, Jesus Christ lived in the world, bled on the cross, entered into the darkness of death and hell and the grave, grappled with and strangled that accursed power, came forth again, and finally ascended to heaven in order to secure it for you and me. If there is anything under heaven that ought to command our reverence, our holy reverence, our reverence beyond anything else in the world, it surely is the subject of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Sometimes my soul is jarred when I hear people flippantly say, have you got your baptism? Supposing that Jesus was on the cross and we were privileged tonight 
to look into his face at this hour. I wonder what the feeling of our soul would be, supposing we were to follow tonight behind the weeping company that bore his dead body and laid it in the tomb. What would our feelings be? Supposing we were to meet him in the garden, as Mary did in the glory of his resurrection, or supposing that God in his goodness will let us look into that scene of scenes at the throne of God when the heavens lifted up their gates and the Lord of glory came in. Oh, if we could, if we could, beloved, we would have a better comprehension of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I love that dear old word ghost. The Anglo-Saxon is ghost, a spiritual guest, heavenly visitor, spiritual presence, the angel one. <clears throat> and that angel one that comes to you and me comes right out of the heart of the eternal God, breathed through the soul of Jesus Christ. When it came upon a man originally, as it did upon the 120 at Jerusalem, no one went around saying, Brother, have you got your baptism? They were walking with their shoes off, with uncovered heads and uncovered hearts before the eternal God. And I believe that the first essential in a real Holy Ghost church and a real Holy Ghost work is to begin to surround the baptism of the Holy Ghost with that due reverence of God, with which an experience so sacred and that cost such an awful price should be surrounded. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is peculiar to the Lord Jesus Christ. I indeed, said John, baptize you with water unto repentance, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Jesus Christ, the glorified, must lay his hands on you and on me and bestow upon us all his own nature, the outflow of God, the substance of his soul, the quality of his mind, the very being of God himself. First Corinthians 6 and 19 says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? It's a temple of God, a house of God, in which God lives. Sometimes I have tried to get it clear before my soul that God lives in me. I have tried to note the incoming influence and power of that pure, sweet, living spirit of the eternal God. I have tried to realize his presence in my spirit, in my soul, in my hands, in my feet, and in my person and being a habitation of God, a habitation of God. God equipping the soul to minister himself, God, to the world. God equipping the soul of man that he may live forever in harmony of mind with God. God furnishing to the soul of man the power of his personality by which man is made 
as God for all the godlike qualities of your heart is due to the fact that God, by the Spirit, dwells in you. What is it that you look for in another? It's God. You look into the eyes of another to see God. If you fail to see God in the other life, your heart is troubled. You were looking for God. I'm not interested in the form or the figure or the name of an individual. I am interested in seeing God. Is God there? Is God in that man? Is God in that woman? Is it God that speaks? Is it God that moves? Are you seeing God? The baptism of the Holy Ghost was the incoming of God in personality in order that the man, through this force, might be moved by God. God lives in him. God speaks through him. God is the impulse of his soul. And God has his dwelling place in him. You may have God. And that is the wonder of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's not a work of grace. It is God possessing you. Oh, your heart may have been as sinful as the heart of man ever was sinful. But Christ comes to your soul. That spirit of darkness that possessed you goes, and in its stead, a new spirit comes in. The spirit of Christ. You have become a new creature, a saved man, a God-filled man. Sin manifests itself in three ways, in thought, in actions, and in nature. Salvation is a complete transformation. God takes possession of man changes his thoughts, and in consequence, his acts change, his nature is new. A Christian, folks, is not a reformed man. A Christian is a man renewed, remade by the Spirit of God. A Christian is a man indwelt by God, the house of God, the tabernacle of the Most High. Man indwelt by God becomes the hands and the heart, and the feet, and the mind of Jesus Christ. God descends into man, and man ascends into God. And that's the purpose and power of the baptism in the Holy Ghost. A soul is saved. How does Jesus reach him? Through your hands, through your heart, and through your faith. When God baptizes you in the Holy Ghost. He gives you the biggest gift that heaven or earth ever possessed. He gives you himself. He joins you by the one spirit to himself forever. And the requirement is a surrendered heart, a surrendered mind, a surrendered life. From the day that a man becomes a child of God, baptized in the Holy Ghost, it was God's intention through Jesus Christ that that man should be a revelation of Jesus, not of himself anymore. And from that time on, the Christian should be a revelation of Jesus. And if you were looking to know whether a man was baptized in the Holy Ghost or not, 
what would you look for? You'd look for God in him. You would look for a revelation of the personality of God. God moving in him. God speaking in him. God speaking through him. God using his hands. God using his feet. A mind in harmony with God. A soul in touch with heaven. A spirit united and unified with and in Jesus Christ. It is not in my heart to discourage any man or to make you disbelieve for one minute in the trueness of your own baptism in the Holy Ghost. I believe that God by the Spirit was has baptized many in the Holy Ghost. But folks, we have not comprehended the greatness of God's intent. Not that we have not received the Spirit, but our lives have not been sufficiently surrendered to God. We must keep on ascending right to the throne, right into the heart of God, right into the soul of the glorified. The common teaching that my heart these days is endeavoring to combat is that God comes to present the individual with a gift of power and the individual is then supposed to go out and manifest some certain characteristics of power. No, God comes to present you with himself. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Acts 1 and 8. Jesus went to heaven in order that the very treasury of the heart of the eternal God might be unlocked for your benefit. And that out of the very soul of the eternal God, the streams of his life and nature would possess you from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. And there would be just as much of the eternal God in your toenails and in your brain as each are capable of containing. In other words, from the very soles of your feet to the last hair on the top of your head, every cell of your being would be a residence of the spirit of the living God. Man is made alive by God and with God by the spirit. And in the truest sense is the dwelling place of God, the house of God, the tabernacle of the Most High. Listen to me, the words that I speak, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me. John 14 and 10, but the Father that dwelleth in me. Where did the eternal Father dwell in Jesus Christ? Why, in every part of his being, within and without, in the spirit of him, in the soul of of him, in the brain of him, in the body of him, in the blood of him, in the bones of him. Every single solitary cell of his structure was the dwelling place of God, of God, of God. When you look for God, you don't look on the surface. You look within. When you discern a man to see whether God is in him, you look into the spirit of him into the soul of him, into the depth of him. And there you see God. How trifling are the controversies that surround the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Men are debating such trifling issues. For instance, does a man speak in tongues or does he not? Don't think for a moment that I am discounting the value of tongues. I am not 
But beloved, I will tell you what my heart is straining for. Down there at Jerusalem, they not only spoke in tongues, but they spoke the language of the nations. And if it was possible for old Peter and old Paul or for the Jewish nation, then it's possible to every last one. Not to speak in tongues alone as we ordinarily understand that phase, but to speak because God dwells in you and speaks to whomsoever he will in whatever language he desires. And if our present experience in tongues is not satisfying, God bless you. Go on into languages as God meant that you should. Dear ones, I feel the need of that and I feel it away down in my heart to a depth that hurts. I lived in South Africa for a number of years where it is commonly said that there are a hundred thousand tribes of native people. Every last one of the hundred thousand speaks a different dialect. These tribes number sometimes as low as 10,000 people and sometimes as high as hundreds of thousands, even millions of people. Supposing we were going to undertake the to evangelize Africa rapidly. It would be necessary to have a 100,000 different missionaries and have them all at one time master one particular language, for there are 100,000 of them. No, sir. I believe before high heaven that when the Spirit of the eternal God is poured out upon all flesh, that out of the real Christian body will arise a 100,000 men and women in Africa that will speak in the language of every separate tribe by the power of God. The unknown tongue of the Spirit was to teach you of God to be a faith builder in your soul to take you out into God's big practical endeavor or venture to save the world. And that's the reason, dear ones, that I'll bring this issue to your soul tonight. In the matter of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we are in a state of the merest infancy of understanding the merest infancy of divine control, the merest infancy inability to assimilate our environment, including languages. When we go to, to a school, we see classes arranged for every grade. I was talking to a young school teacher who teaches out in the country in a little public school. I said, how many children have you in your school? She said, eight grades, 15 scholars divided into eight grades. The Christian church is God's big school. What student in the eighth grade would think of saying to a child learning its ABCs, you haven't anything. Why don't you have the eighth grade understanding? Well, in due time, he will have it. And that's the reason the student doesn't say that. It is because he knows the child will have it. One day that boy will understand just the same as he does. A weak Christianity always wants to drop to the imperfect and adjust itself to the popular mind. But a real Christianity ever seeks to be made perfect in God, both in character and gifts. Now, Lake talks about his personal experience. He said, Dear ones, I want to repeat to you tonight a little of my own personal history on the subject of the baptism of the Spirit, for I know it will clarify your soul. He said, My conversion 
I knelt under a tree when about 16 years of age in repentance and prayer, and God came into my soul. I was saved from my sins, and from that day, I knew Jesus Christ as a living Savior. There never was a single moment of question about the reality of his incoming into my life as a Savior. For he saved me from my sins. My friend says, you are baptized in the Holy Ghost. Sometimes later, I think when I was yet under 20 or thereabout, I met a Christian farmer, Melvin Pratt, who sat down on his plow handles and taught me the subject of sanctification. And God let me enter into that experience. My friend said, now, surely you are baptized in the Holy Ghost. Later in my life, I came under the ministry of George B. Watson of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, who taught with more clearness and better distinction between the baptism of the Holy Ghost and sanctification, and I entered into a richer life and a better experience. A beautiful anointing of the Spirit was upon my life. Then the ministry of healing was opened to me, and I ministered for 10 years in the power of God. Hundreds and hundreds of people were healed by the power of God during this 10 years. And I could feel the conscious flow of the Holy Spirit through my soul and my hands. But at the end of that 10 years, I believe I was the hungriest man for God that ever lived. There was such a hunger for God that as I left my offices in Chicago and walked down the street, my soul would break out and I would cry, Oh God, I've had people stop and look at me in wonder. It was the yearning passion of my soul asking for God in a greater measure than I then knew. But my friends would say, Mr. Lake, you have a beautiful baptism in the Holy Ghost. Yeah, it was as nice as far as it went, but it was not answering the cry of my heart. I was growing up into a larger understanding of God and my own soul's need. My soul was demanding a greater interest into God, his love, presence, and his power. And then one day, an old man strolled into my office. He sat down, and in the next half hour, he revealed more of the knowledge of God to my soul than I had ever known before. And when he passed out, I said, God bless that old gray head. That man knows more of God than any man I ever met. And by the grace of God, if that is what the baptism of the Holy Ghost with tongues does, I'm going to possess it. Oh, the wonder of God that was then revealed to my heart. I went into fasting and prayer and waiting on God for nine months. And one day, the glory of God in a new manifestation and a new incoming came into my life. And when the phenomena had passed and the glory of it remained in my soul, I found that my life began to manifest in the varied range of the gifts of the Spirit. And I spoke in tongues by the power of God, and God flowed through me with a new force. Healings were of a more powerful order. Oh, God lived in me. God manifested in me. God spoke through me. My spirit was deified. 
and I had a new comprehension of God's will, new discernment of spirit, new revelation of God in me. For nine months, everything that I looked at framed itself into a poetic verse. I couldn't look at the trees without it framing itself into a glory poem of praise. I preached to audience of thousands night after night and day after day. People came from all over the world to study me. They couldn't understand. Everything I said was a stream of poetry. It rolled from my soul in that form. My spirit had become a fountain of poetic truth. Then a new wonder was manifested. My nature became so sensitized that I could lay my hands on any man or woman and tell what organ was diseased and to what extent and all about it. I tested it. I went to hospitals where physicians could not diagnose a case. I touched the patient and instantly I knew the organ that was diseased, its extent and condition and location. And one day it passed away. You know, a child gets to playing with a toy and his joy is so wonderful, he sometimes forgets to eat. Oh, say, don't you remember when you were first baptized in the Holy Ghost and you first spoke in tongues? How you bubbled and babbled? It was so wonderful, so amazing. We just wanted to be babies and go on bubbling and exhilarating. Now we're wondering what's the matter. The effervescence seems to have passed away. My, my, it is a good thing that it did. God is letting your soul down, beloved, into the bedrock right down where your mind is not occupied anymore with the manifestation of God. God's trying to get your mind occupied with himself. God has come into you. Now he's drawing you into himself. Will you speak in tongues when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost? Yeah, you will. But you will do an awful lot more than that, bless God. An awful lot more than that. You will speak with the soul of Jesus Christ. You will fill with the heart of the Son of God. Your heart will beat with a heavenly desire to bless the world because it's the pulse of Jesus that is throbbing in your soul. And I don't believe there will be a bit of inclination in your heart to turn around another child of God and say, you're not in my class. I am baptized with the Holy Ghost. That is as foreign to the spirit of the Son of God as night is from day. Beloved, if you are baptized in the Holy Ghost, there will be a tenderness in your soul so deep that you will never crush the aspiration of another by a single suggestion. But your soul will throb and beat and pulse in love and your heart will be under that one to lift it up to God and push it out as far into glory as your faith can send it. I want to talk with the utmost frankness and say to you that tongues have been to me the making of my ministry. It is that peculiar communication with God when God reveals to my soul the truth I utter you day by day in my ministry. And by that time of communication with with me is mostly in the night. Many a time I climb out of my bed 
take my pencil and pad and jot down the beautiful things of God, the wonderful things of God that he talks out in my spirit and reveals to my heart. Many Christians do not understand the significance of tongues any more than the other man understands the experience of your soul when you are saved from sin. It has taken place in you. It is in your heart. It is in your mind. It is in your being. And the man who tries to make you doubt the reality of your touch with God when he saved you out of your sin is foolish. It is established in you. The old Methodists could not explain the experience, but they said it is better felt than told. They knew it by internal knowledge. So it is in a real baptism of the Holy Ghost. So it is in prophecy. So it is in healing. So it is in tongues. And don't throw away what you have. Go on to perfection. The spirit of man has a voice. Do you get that? The spirit of man has a voice. The action of God in your spirit causes your spirit to speak by its voice. In order to make it intelligent to your understanding, it has to be repeated in the language that your brain knows. Why? Because there is a language common to the spirit of man, and it's not English, and it's not German, and it's not French, or Italian, or any other languages of the earth. It is a language of the spirit of man. And oh, what a joy it was when that pent-up, bursting, struggling spirit of yours found its voice and spoke in tongues. Many a time I have talked to others in the spirit, by the spirit, through the medium of tongues. I knew everything that was said to me, but I didn't know it was with this ear. It was not the soul of that words, it was that undefinable something that made it intelligent. Spirit speaks to spirit just as mouth speaks to mouth or as man speaks to man. Your spirit speaks to God. God is spirit. He answers back, bless God. And I believe with all my heart that is what Paul had in mind when he talked about the unknown tongue. The unknown tongue, that medium of internal revelation of God to you. The common language of the spirit of man by which God communicates with your spirit. But if you want to make that medium of internal revelation of God intelligent to other folks, then it must be translated into the language that they know. And that's the reason the apostle says, let him that speaks in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. First Corinthians 14 to 13. That the church may receive edifying. Paul says, in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. First Corinthians 14 and 19. Your revelation from God is given to you in tongues, but you give it forth in the language that people understand. Beloved, settle it. It is one of the divine mediums and methods of communication between your spirit and God's. And as long as you live, when you talk about tongues, speak with reverence, for it is God. When you talk about healing, 
speak with reverence, for it is God. When you talk about prophecy, remember, it's God. A German woman came to the healing rooms one day, and her brother prayed for her. She had been a school teacher, but had to give up her profession because of her eyesight. She came back some weeks later after having been alone for three weeks. She had never been in religious service in her life where they speak in tongues and had not knowledge of scriptures on that line. She came back to me with a volume of written material that God had given her. When she had been prayed for to receive healing, the Spirit of God came upon her and she was baptized in the Holy Ghost. And now God had commenced to reveal himself to her, teach her of his word and of his will, until she filled a volume with written material of her conversations with God. She communed with God in tongues, her spirit speaking to God, but when she came to me, I received it in English. The man that sits alongside of you cannot understand that he never talked to God. He does not understand anything about getting up in the middle of the night to write down what God has has already said to him. Well, he needs something else to convince him that there is a God. Tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesy, the outspeaking for God is for all. Therefore, Paul does not want them to crush a man who is speaking in tongues, but to keep their hands off and stand back. Leave him alone with God. Let him travel away out in his love and power and come back with messages in his soul. But he must not monopolize the time of hundreds of people in the church with a private communication of God to his soul. But when he has completed his interview with God, he gives forth his knowledge as interpretation or prophecy. There have been so many controversies over the Various gifts of the Spirit as they appeared one after another. Twenty-five or thirty years ago, when we began in the ministry of healing, this was preached in 1921, we had to fight to keep from being submerged by our opposing brethren in Jesus Christ, who thought you were insane because you suggested that the Lord Jesus Christ could still heal. In the state of Michigan, I had to go into the course to keep some of my friends out of the insane asylum because they believe God can heal without taking pills or some other material stuff. It was because they didn't understand the eternal and invisible nature of God. They had no idea God could be ministered through a man's hands and soul, fill a sick man's body, take possession of and make him whole. The world has had to come to learn this, and it is a science far in advance of so-called material or physical science, glory to God. Then that marvelous wave of God came over the country from 1900 to 1906, when hundreds of thousands of people were baptized in the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues. But listen, old John Alexander Dowie, Riding on the wave of that wonderful manifestation of healing power, wanted to build a church and stamp it with healing only. And his church practically did that and died. Other churches branded theirs with holiness only and died. Others with an anointing of the Holy Ghost called baptism, and they died in power also. 
And later on, we wanted to build a gray structure and stamp it with tongues. And after a while, the tongues got dry. Somehow the glory and the glow had gone out of them. They became rattly and did not sound right. What was the matter? Nothing wrong with the experience. God had not departed from life, but was hidden from our view. We were absorbed in phenomena of God and not in God himself. Glory to God. Now, we must go on. Now, beloved, I can see as my spirit discerns the future and reaches out to the touch the heart of mankind and the desire of God that there is coming from heaven a new manifestation of the Holy Ghost in power. And that new manifestation will be in sweetness, in love, in tenderness, in the power of the spirit beyond anything your heart or mine ever saw. The very lightning of God will flash through men's souls. The sons of God will meet the sons of darkness and prevail. And Jesus Christ will destroy Antichrist. In 1908, I preached at Pretoria, South Africa, when one night God came over my life in such power, in such streams of liquid glory and power that it flowed consciously off of my hands like streams of electricity. I would put my finger at a man, I would point my finger at a man, and that stream would strike him. When a man interrupted the meeting, I would point my finger at him and say, sit down. And he fell if he struck and lay for three hours. When he became normal, they asked him what had happened. He said, something struck me that went straight through me. I thought I was shot. And at two o'clock in the morning, I ministered to 65 sick who were present. And the streams of God that were pouring through my hands were so powerful, the people would fall as they were hit. I was troubled because they fell with such violence. And the Spirit said, you do not need to put your hands on them. Keep your hands a distance away. And when I held my hands a foot from their heads, they would crumble and fall in a heap on the floor. They were healed almost every one. And that was the outward manifestation. That was what the people saw. But beloved, something transpired in my heart that made my soul like the soul of Jesus Christ. Oh, there was such a tenderness, a newborn tenderness of God that was so wonderful that my heart reached out and cried and wept over men in sin. I could gather them in my arms and love them, and Jesus Christ flowed out of me and delivered them. Drunkards were saved and healed as they stood transfixed looking at me. During that period, men would walk down the aisle, and when they came within ten feet of me, I have seen them fall prostrate, one on top of the other. A preacher who had sinned as he looked at me fell prostrate, was saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost, and stirred the nation with his message of love. In 18 months, God's raised up 100 white churches in the land. That 100 churches was born in my tabernacle at Johannesburg. The multitude of those who comp- composed that 100 churches were healed or baptized in the Holy Ghost under my own eyes. As I preached or prayed, I continued in the ministry of healing until I saw hundreds of thousands healed. 
At last I became tired. I went on healing people day after day as though I were a machine. And all the time my heart kept asking, Oh God, let me know yourself better. I want you. My heart wants you, God. Seeing men saved and healed and baptized in the Holy Ghost did not satisfy my growing soul. It was crying for a greater consciousness of God. The withinness of me was yearning for Christ's own life and love. And after a while, my soul reached a place where I said, if I cannot get God into my soul to satisfy the soul of me, all the rest of this is empty. I had lost interest in it. But if I put my hands on the sick, they continue to be healed by the power of God. He said, I will never forget Spokane, Washington, for during the first six months I was there, God satisfied the cry of my heart. And God came in and my mind opened and my spirit understood afresh. And I was able to tell of God and talk out the heart of me like I had like I never had been able to before. God reached a new depth in my spirit and revealed new possibilities in God. So, beloved, you pray through. Pray through for this church. Pray through for this work. Oh, God will come. God will come with more tongues than you have ever heard. God will come with more power than your eyes ever beheld. God will come with waves of heavenly love and sweetness. And blessed be God, your heart will be satisfied in him. Will a man speak in tongues when he is baptized in the Holy Ghost? Yes, he will. And he will heal the sick when he is baptized. And he will glorify God out of the spirit of him with praises more delightful and heavenly than you have ever heard. And he will have a majestic bearing. He will look like the Lord Jesus Christ and he will be like him. Blessed be God. The greatest manifestation of the Holy Ghost baptized life ever given to the world was not in the preaching of the apostles. It was not in the wonderful manifestations of God that took place at their hands. It was in the unselfish manifested by the church. Think of it. Three thousand Holy Ghost baptized Christians in Jerusalem from the day of Pentecost onward who loved their neighbor's children as much as their own who were so anxious for fear their brethren did not have enough to eat that they sold their estates brought the money laid it at the apostles feet and said distribute it care the glow and the fire and the wonder of this divine salvation to the whole world And that showed what God had wrought in their hearts. Oh, I wish we could arrive at that place where this church was baptized in that degree of unselfishness. That would be a greater manifestation than healing, greater than conversion, greater than baptism in the Holy Ghost, greater than tongues. It would be a manifestation of the love of 1 Corinthians 13 that so many preach about and don't possess. When a man sells his all for God and distributes it for the kingdom's good, it will speak louder of love than the evangelists who harp about love and opposes tongues and other gifts of the Spirit. 
That was the same Holy Ghost that came upon them and caused them to speak in tongues. No more grabbing for themselves. No more bantering for the biggest possible salary. No more juggling to put themselves and their friends in the most influential positions. All the old characteristics were gone. They were truly saved. While their heart was like the heart of Jesus. Their soul was like the soul of God. They loved as God loved. They loved the world. They loved sinners so that they gave their all to save them. Do you want him? You can have him. Oh, he will come and fill your soul. Oh, the Holy Ghost will take possession of your life. He will reveal the wonder of heaven and the glory of God and the richness and the purity of his holiness and make you sweet and godlike forever. They're not far away. Oh God, our souls tonight are enveloped in the eternal God. We feel thee round about us. We feel thy precious loving arm and the beating of thy heart and the pulsing of thy heavenly soul. And we are asking thee, my God, that the truth of the eternal shall be breathed into us forever until our all our nature is submerged in God. Buried up in God, infilled with God, revealing God. This was a prayer in tongues and an interpretation by John Lee. Then he goes on and says, The baptism of the Holy Ghost was of such importance in the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ that he commanded his disciples to tarry in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high, as it says in Luke 24 and 49. And they steadfastly carried out what the Lord had commanded, waiting on God in continuous prayer meeting in the upper room for 10 days until the promise of the Father was fulfilled and that baptism had fallen, of which John the Baptist spoke of in Matthew 3 and verse 11, saying, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In order to obtain from heaven the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Ghost, it is first necessary that the individual shall know that his sins are blotted out and that the blood of Jesus Christ has sanctified his heart and cleansed him from the sinful nature or Adamic nature, the inherent nature of sin. Personally, I knew that my sins had been blotted out. But it was only two months prior to my baptism in the Holy Ghost that I learned by the Word of God and experienced in my life the sanctifying power of God, subduing the soul and cleansing the nature from sin. This inward life cleansing was to me the crowning work of God in my life at that period. I shall never cease to praise God that he revealed to me the depths by the Holy Ghost, the power of the blood of Jesus. And many inquire what is the reason that when your heart is sanctified and the conscious knowledge of your cleansing has taken place, that you're not instantly baptized with the Holy Ghost. Well, from my own experience and experience of others, it is readily seen that notwithstanding that the heart is cleansed from sin, it is still necessary 
in many instances for the dear Lord to further spiritualize the personality until the individual has become receptive to receive within his person the Holy Ghost. The forces of our personality must be subdued unto God. And this we commonly speak of as spiritualizing. In many instances, even though the heart is pure, yet the individual has not at once received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and in some instances has given up in despair and turned back to his first works, believing that there must be still be sin in his heart, thus discrediting what God has already done within through the blood of Jesus. No, it's not always that the heart is still impure. It is not because you're not thoroughly sanctified. It is only God waiting and working to bring you to the place and to sufficiently spiritualize your personality that you may receive into your being the Holy Ghost. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is not an influence, nor yet a good feeling, nor sweet sensation, though it may include all of these. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is the incoming into the personality of him, the Holy Ghost, which is the mind and animal, yeah, of your flesh. He possesses the being. The flesh is caused to quake sometimes because of the presence of the Spirit of God in the flesh. Daniel quaked with great quaking when the Spirit of of the Lord came upon him. Beloved reader, do you realize that it is the Spirit of Jesus who is seeking admittance into your heart and life? And do you realize that it is the Spirit of Jesus within the spirit, soul, and body of the baptized believer who moves in him in ways sometimes strange, but who accomplishes the wondrous work of God within the life? And that's why every baptized believer Praises God for what has taken place in him. Here's some personal experience for late. While yet a justified man, even without an experience of sanctification, the Lord committed to me in a measure the ministry of healing, inasmuch that many were healed, and in some instances, real miracles of healing took place. Yet I did not know God as my sanctifier. Ten years later, after sanctification had become a fact in my life, a great and wonderful yearning to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire came into my heart. After seeking God persistently almost night and day for two months, the Lord baptized me in the Holy Ghost, causing me to speak in tongues and magnify God. I had looked for and prayed and coveted the real power of God for the ministry of healing, And believe God that when I was baptized in the Holy Ghost, that his presence in me through the Spirit would do for the sick the things my heart desired and which they needed. Instantly, upon being baptized in the Spirit, I expected to see the sick healed in greater degree and in larger numbers than I had known, I had before known. And for a time, I seemed to be disappointed. How little we know of our own relationship to God. How little I knew of my own relationship to him for my day by day for six months following my baptism in the Holy Ghost. The Lord revealed to me many things in my life where repentance, confession, and restitution were, were necessary. 
And yet I had repented unto God long ago. Oh, the deep cleansing, the deep revelations of one's own heart by the Holy Ghost. It was indeed, as John the Baptist said, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire, Matthew 3 and 12. Glory be to God. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next time, God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, Shining rays of red and white Jesus, I trust in you Sacred heart in you I find Mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus Just in-